The Trumpets had no air coming out on Sunday. Edwin Diaz blew the save, and the Mets finished the first half of the season with a series split against the lowly Pirates. We'll talk about Sunday's brutal loss, the polar bear and the home run derby, and grade the first half of the Mets season. Our special guest this week is one of the radio voices of the Mets on WCBS. It's Wayne Randazzo. So take a break, sit back and relax, and enjoy an all-star break edition of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York Post. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh. Welcome back to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. A little shorter one because the Mets lost on Sunday of the welcome coming in that Figgy will always make fun of me for. Nelson Figaro is my co-host. I'm Jake Brown. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio and at Figgy NY. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review. We appreciate your support. In what was a fun first half of the season where the Metsies are in first place right now as we head into the All-Star break. Joining us to talk about that first half of the season will be the radio voice of the Mets on WCBS, Wayne Randazzo. Make sure you give us a call. The Amazing But True voicemail, 845-391-3660, and AmazingButTruePod at gmail.com. Well, Figgy, things were going just great on Sunday when it was 5 nothing Mets, but I have learned that Tanto Nadar para Ahagorse on la Oria, meaning came close to accomplishing, but they failed in the end. That was uh, that line for that. Edwin Diaz failed. Yeah, I think I threw you all off there with a, a little phrase you didn't expect. And if things went adrift or poorly, I would say Algarete uh, would be the saying for that as well. Yes, I did learn some Spanish on Sunday. Who did you learn Spanish from? From an Ecuadorian woman. And I guess this is the Puerto Rican slang. I learned that Chavos is the Puerto Rican slang word for money. I learned Bregar. Bonchinche is gossip. Brokey is brother or friend. Badass is congri. So I'm learning things that you don't even know. There you go. Yeah. You know why I don't even know it? Because it's not real. They got you, bro. <laughs> Whatever you paid her to teach you these Spanish lessons. Rosetta Stone. No, it, it is real. Here's a good word for you. Horrible. Horrible was Edwin Diaz in the ninth inning. And Figgy, it was frustrating because here you are up 5 nothing. I sit my ass in my seat. The score is already 5 nothing. It's felt over. And then you had Jared Eikhoff, who is back on the team. We talk about it later. How they mentioned you and DFA three times. Jared Eikhoff is soon to be DFA'd again. He gives up. A couple blasts, bullpen game, Loop started was great. Loop has been fantastic this year. When you look at his stats, you know, the 160 ERA, he has just been unbelievable. Probably would have been a better fit Saturday, Figgy. It felt like Saturday would have been the better fit to do an opener and let McGill go Sunday, let him go six. He ends up going three and a two-third Saturday. Diaz, a couple base hits, and I know you you were talking with me after the game about his pitch selection wasn't great, and the Mets end up a series split in a series they probably should have took three out of four. That's one of the things. You want to always go out on a, on a high note into the All-Star break, and you can do one of two things. You can win, you can lose, but it's the way that you lost this game. Being up ahead 5 nothing in the first inning, it was like, all right, this is going to be a laugher you know this is where everybody's going to get a chance to hit everybody's going to get a chance to pitch they even said on the radio as i was listening to howie and wayne 
how it was going to be treated like a spring training game, which I found very disturbing for a team that's in first place playing against, you know, the lowly Pirates. And you're sitting back and you're saying, okay, 5 nothing. this is going to be an easy one. It's a laugher. And then you bring in guys like Jared Eikhoff, who, could you see Castro hitting two home runs in the ballgame? No. Could you see him giving up back-to-back home runs in back-to-back games? Yes. That's what Eikhoff has done. That's what he's been doing. And that's one of the reasons why he wasn't in the majors for so long. It's just what he does. He was pitching so well, pitching inside, being aggressive. Then he went out over the plate and all of a sudden they're getting extension on these fastballs that are just traveling and still traveling uh, to left field. And it was all of a sudden you start feeling a little shift and you're like, ah, they're fine. They're going to score. They're going to continue to score because the Pirates have to bring in their pitching staff, which is one of the worst in all of baseball. And it didn't happen. So while I fault the pitching staff and especially Edwin Diaz for not being able to shut the door, there's a lot of blame to go around. The offense has to be able to put up more runs. Forget about what happened in the first inning. The Pirates outplayed you the last eight innings of the ballgame, the Pirates. So while we sit back and we say, oh, it's the lowly Pirates. Well, you know who's right above them in runs scored per game? I think Randazzo said they scored 3.5 runs a game, the Pirates, and you didn't have to worry about what well, the Mets scored 3.51. It's not like you're sitting around thinking, oh, this offense is just going to blow them away, but they should have. They put up five and they thought it would stand. The pitching didn't hold up. Diaz blows it. That one pitch and the one pitch that I we talked about after the game is that Nito's catching Diaz is already on fumes you know he got out of a big jam in the eighth he's going through it in the in the ninth he's got two outs all he has to do is Nagowski get by Nagowski and what do they do they give him a first pitch fastball why would you give the hottest hitter in all of baseball a first pitch fastball ever since he got picked up by the Pirates he had I think no hits with the Cardinals he had everything doubles hits all over the place. I swear he's like 17 for 25 or something like that. Something ridiculous. But he's the guy that's not missing the ball. And you give him a first pitch fastball. I don't care if it's 100 miles an hour. You know why? Because he knows it's 100 miles an hour and he's geared up for it. And he didn't miss. He hit a missile to immediately give them the lead right there or, or to tie the game. And then it got out of hand after that. That can happen. I always have a saying. And when I do my fantasy teams, I'm the coach there. I, that can't happen. Okay. You have to, as the catcher, Take onus of, hey, this guy's been swinging the bat well. Give him a slider. Start him off with two, three sliders in a row. I don't care. But give him something difficult to hit other than a fastball. Diaz is pumping on fumes. He was only at like 97 miles an hour. You could tell his, his velocity was down. Winds up giving up the hit, and they're not able to score, tie the game at least, and the Mets wind up losing. I also feel like we're not seeing, and I think I might have said this last show, we're not seeing Lugo in higher leverage situations like we should be. Like, I know you used him Saturday, but, man, you could have really used him for a few innings on Sunday instead of even have to consider a guy like Eikhoff. And we're not seeing Lugo in those tight games. I thought we might even see him get a few save opportunities, some eighth and ninths, if Diaz pitched the day before. And we're not seeing that at all. We're seeing Luke. We saw him Saturday, but what was the score? They were up like 5-2. We're seeing him when they're up three, four runs. I'd love to see Lugo more in tie games, one-run games. Nonetheless, Figgy, you know, Sunday sucked, but it's it's so much easier to swallow when it's 47 and 40 and you're in first place. I mean, 47 and 40. Here we are, 87 games in. Things have changed dramatically over the weekend because the Braves will be without Ronald Acuna Jr. for the season with a torn ACL. Unfortunate injury, fell weird on in the outfield. 
There's no way to replace him. They can make a deal. Honestly, they should still be buyers considering they're four out. The Phillies are going to be buyers. We know the Phillies are going to make a move. Both those teams are right in the thick of things. Three and a half back of the Phillies, four for the Braves. Nationals are just in a tailspin at six out. Yet still, five games under, still within six games is doable. One team's get in. None of these teams are getting a wild card. They're all fighting for the Mets spot. The Mets now 65 consecutive days in first place, the longest stretch since May through September 2007. And we remember what happened that year, the big collapse, and they surpassed their 2015 stretch of first place. So as we look back at what we saw in this first half and kind of graded, Figgy, I, I give them a B plus. I think I'm thrilled with first place. Maybe that's a little harsh, but... I also think the bats, it's it's troubling. I mean, you saw Conforto hit the homer, but again, he's hitting 200. Lindor obviously struggled, which I've learned. Paco is a nickname for Francisco, is Paco. And I, I did not realize that. So Paco Lindor had a nice day. Give uh, that Ecuadorian lady back her money. <laughs> is it not Paco? I heard it was Paco. No, it can be anything. The dialects all around the world in Spanish, you could say the same word three or four times in a row and it won't uh it'll brian says poncho or ponchito i've heard that honestly is what i'm wearing on on a rainy day what do you mean what is this uh just let's move on with the where lindor is yes lindor has been a big disappointment but he has turned it on as of late yes Um, he had a big day not just a big day he's he's been really solid over the last 10 days i'd say and looks like uh, a little bit more of the lindor that you were hoping for i mean he's second on the team now in home runs his batting average it's tough to break out of those first 100 and what 150 at bats where he was batting a minimal to get the ship turned the right way but he's slowly doing it man more so than anything if it wasn't for his defense this team is 10 games out of first place yeah i mean the defense has saved that's been a saving grace maybe a minus for general i'm still plus just because we need to see them start hitting and it needs to happen soon because this division race isn't big enough for my comfort what's your grade for the first half i'm right around a b plus i would say I'm um, between a B and B plus. I think I'm so disappointed with the offense that it keeps me on a, a solid B. The list of names that put on a Met uniform so far this year, astronomical. I, I mean, there, there are guys that we've already forgotten about readily. And then there's guys that we cons- constantly get reminded of, like Eikhoff's, when every time they come back and they're on the mound. However, if you look at where this team is done with everything that has happened to them, you're talking about 18 guys on the IL at the same time, which would kill most teams. I give them another jump up. That whole team chemistry thing where we questioned the identity of this team back in the Philly series where they were challenged to a fight and nobody wanted to fight. This team has fought cohesively, collectively, more than any team I've ever seen, especially just for a half a season. They've been through more adversity. They've been through more uh, injuries. They've been through more wow moments of collectively the team has struggled, but they found ways to win games. It doesn't. Yeah, and you were outspoken on on that non-fight. You said, did this team show no fight? I need to see better. And it seems like since that, maybe in that moment, things kind of turned around. So uh, they wrote their wrongs. I I think, I think literally the, the piece that happened. And unfortunately, of course, Pilar, uh, Pilar gets hit in the face. He gets hit in the face. And the first thing he says is I want to be out there. I want to be accountable. That is a major veteran player who knew his role coming into this as a fourth outfielder and all he's saying is that he was disappointed he couldn't get up and go to first base 
and just keep helping this team find ways to win. I think that changed everyone's perspective. I've seen a lot of individual at bats. I've seen a lot of chasing the same pitches over and over and over again, not making adjustments, especially when you have huge shifts going on against this team. But when they play winning baseball, what you watch is all the little hits, right? We laughed about it several times, like all these little dribblers. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I don't care about exit velocity. You know what I care about? not striking out with a runner in scoring position. You know what I care about? Moving a guy over instead of striking out. You know what I care about? I care about having the ability to count on the next guy coming up because there's no one bigger. You know what I mean? Like when you have superstars on the team, you rely on those superstars and they're like, oh, well, you know, he didn't come through. Nobody else is going to. I love having these other guys just pick up the slack. We've sang the praises of Peraza and McKinney and all those guys. And meanwhile, you look and they're batting, you know, low 200s, but it's a different age in baseball, right? So all I care about is what did they do in a big moment to help this team win? Peraza's done it again and again and again. McKinney, you know, he hit that ball the other way, you know, got an RBI yesterday. You look at what this team has been able to do with all these different players. And so you have to be encouraged. The pitching staff, I'm going to give you some of the numbers. Pitching staff is fourth in all of baseball in whip. That's walks, hits per innings pitched. First in fewest runs against 318. The third, they've only given up 86 home runs. Third in all of baseball. So these numbers are in all of baseball. They've got a 3.43 team ERA. That's fourth best in all of baseball. At home, it's a 2.43 which is by far the best, 1.92 batting average against. So the pitching staff has done it. The starters are second in all of baseball, 2.98. The relievers are 14th, they're right around the middle. But remember, all the names that you're seeing, all the guys that have been DFA'd, all the guys that have been sent down, they're counting as relievers as well. It's a 4.06, which is right around 14th in all of baseball. The pitching has been outstanding. Jacob deGrom, there's no more superlatives that we can give him. We're watching history in the making. When you're watching the rest of this team, I'll go to defense first. Ninth fewest errors. Remember how they started out the season? They were horrific. It was a circus, right? We kept saying, put a tent over the circus. J.D. Davis being out, and not because he's out, but Villar has gotten to play. Villar has gotten to play a lot more, and he's been great on defense. Peraza has been great on defense. So these guys have played really good defense to help out Francisco Lindor being the crown jewel up the middle. For all the stuff that we give McCann for not hitting, His defense has been pretty good. His arm has been a huge improvement over Wilson Ramos. They're 15th in fielding percentage overall, but again, ninth fewest errors made in all of baseball. So we have to give them their their props. Now we go to the hitting. Sixth worst OPS in all of baseball. So that's encapsulating everything, right? That's average, that's slugging, that's on-base percentage. That encapsulates all of that. They're sixth worst. Their 327 runs scored is the second worst only to the lowly Pirates. They're batting 231 as a team, which is sixth worst in all of baseball, and only have 88 home runs for this tremendous slugging team from just a year ago. They're the fourth worst team with only 88 home runs. So what does that tell you? right? They've been a lot of pieces in and out of the lineup with injuries. There's been a lot of guys where a Tomas Nito playing the way he did while McCann was struggling. And when Pete Alonso was out and they put, you know, McCann at first, that was a huge boost. And yet we sit back down. It's like, you don't see the same Nito hitting the same way, but still he's a backup catcher and he's, you know, fulfilling that role. This team needs to hit. If they're going to have success in the second half and complete the mission, they have to hit better. And it's hard to hit worse. So any a bit of improvement would be an improvement. So that's why I'm stuck at about a, a solid B, maybe a B plus. I'll give them a B plus because of the team chemistry and the, the team identity that has been brought out in the first half of this season. Luis Rojas, 
he gets an A. Luis Rojas, I'll give a, a B minus. I know he's brought them together, but his in-game decision making, his pitching, his bullpen mismanagement has just been a, a circus. But you can only these are professional athletes, Jake. You can only ask them to do so much. You can only put them in positions to be successful, and whether they do it or not, it goes back. Oh wow, he made a bad decision. No, he made a bad pitch, and you could go count almost count. Well, Figgy, we are seeing daily three and two thirds from McGill, for example. Stop with the pulling starters early and then leaving reliever leave starters baseball. in 80 pitches is that's like baseball. the new 120 that's but baseball. it shouldn't be he's no. going by the books instead of just letting him go to 100 pitches why can't he go four and two th- five innings in the seven inning game why is he getting pulled after three and two thirds i mean i want to see these guys go deeper in the games and then oh let's bring castro out for a second in, in the eighth I mean, he'll leave the relievers out for two innings, but then he'll pull his starters after four. It just doesn't make any sense. But Castro's been the same thing. Castro has not been the same since the whole sticky stuff scandal. I'm not saying it's sticky stuff, but you can see he, he's afraid to throw his changeup the same way he was doing in the first two months of the season. So to me, whether he's lost confidence in the pitch, he's lost the feel of the pitch, it's affecting everything that he's doing, and he's making and if bigger and bigger case, mistakes. that's why is he out for a second inning? He's been your worst reliever the last month. Ah, it's hard to say worse, but yes, I, I, I get that. I, I think you're also trying to get the most out of him because of the where you were at in the ball game. He's a late inning guy, and you're trying to get him through that. If he gets through that, then he's in a going into the break feeling good and in a positive frame. So you're looking at those little things to try and continue to keep the lead, and they put them in a bind. But they got out of that. If he this has is how he manages in, it, in October, the Mets are screwed. I mean, Stop that's it. what Dave all I'm here. How many Dave Roberts went to three out of four World Series, and how did he manage every single one of those World Series games? Those were magnified to show like all the things that he did wrong, where he had the lefty lineup only and the righty lineup only. So going by the book. And going statistically or, or analytically with what should work, that's the way the game is played now. The front office will rather live and die on that than a hunch by the manager or a feel, game feel by the manager. They would much rather do that. And I mean, you look across town, Aaron Boone is on the hot seat, right? Is there anything that Aaron Boone is doing that isn't by the book? Is there any lineup, uh, the, the lineups that, that you have nowadays? That, I don't think you've seen a set lineup by any team, really. By any team, is there a set lineup anymore? No. Oh, who's pitching? What's his spin rate? What's his um, exit velocity against? Oh, let's stack the lineup this way. So everybody's trying to outthink it instead of just kind of focusing on watching the game and being able to make those adjustments. The last manager I seen do that, AJ Hinch was a guy who did that in the World Series, where he said, "You know what? My best pitchers are my starters. So I'm going to go from starter to the next best reliever is my." starter uh even if it's my four or five and you had lance mccullers throwing 24 straight curveballs to win a world series so i i don't see a lot of feel out of managers these days they want to go so by the book like it's jk rolling sometimes we just need green eggs and ham we need to go back to dr seuss keep it simple keep the pitcher in you know, and we Sam still find a way to complain about it, Jake. So stop it. I know. Well, anyways, we're in first place. And we're happy bunch. We got <laughs> seventy-five games to go. It worries me in October. I don't want to see you know Jacob Degrom pulled after five innings, That's and then I got to see Miguel Castro and giving up home runs to Cody Bellinger. I, I just don't want to see that happen. And if it does, I'm going to say I told you so. Pete Alonso home run derby. No daddy Yankee chain this year, but. 57 in total in 2019, you know, more homers than he hit all season, which was a record. We'll see how Alonzo does. Hopefully he wins. We'll see Taiwan Walker maybe for an inning on Tuesday. And good for him. You know, a guy who's his first all-star game. 
You know he's excited about it. Jacob DeGrom could care less. Take his spot. Let DeGrom rest. And you talk about the offense. They will get reinforcements when they go to Pittsburgh Friday when J.D. Davis is expected to be activated. And as good as VR has been, now he gets to be a bit more of a bench guy. And while he's been good, I think you're seeing at the play he does get overexposed sometimes at the play. And now he comes off the bench as a pinch hit or a late game replacement. And you get J.D. back out there. If Conforto struggles, you have J.D. in left and you, you put Pilar in right. So when J.D.'s back, it, it makes more pressure put on Conforto because now he's got a hit because the Mets will have an option to replace him with J.D. being able to play around the field a little bit. The other storyline is this, and it's the you know first 12,000 fans will get a free joint when Kumar pitches. Oh, Just kidding. Uh, you know, they gave him out to get the vaccinations in Washington Square Park. It's time for Kumar Rocker. What do you think about this kid? Everyone's saying this is the terrific pick. The 10th pick the Mets got out of Vanderbilt was alongside Jack Light in the rotation. Eduardo Perez said he could be in the big leagues this season. I doubt that happens, but there's a chance Kumar Rocker, Figgy, is part of the 2022 Mets, and the Harold and Kumar promos are going to be fantastic. I can't wait for the White Castle to be at City Field next year. Listen, they got a pitcher, fantastic pitcher. And you're talking about a guy who pre-COVID in, in 2019, freshman pitcher of the year at Vanderbilt, where the program is already run as if it's the minor leagues. He's 21 years old, so there's no reason to have kid gloves on with this guy. I would rather have him in the rotation than see Eikhoff starting ever again would that hurt his development who knows who knows in this day and age you got guys that are so young getting a chance covid last year had guys rush to the major leagues and it didn't hurt baseball overall everybody always says that oh they need seasoning they need to learn baseball is baseball you've been playing 60 foot mile 90 foot basis since you were 13 years old those dimensions don't change what changes is you know dimensions of the ballpark and how big the stadiums get everything else you've done it already the same exact way so that doesn't change yes the competition Gets a little tougher, but he's pitched in the SEC, which is really I, – I, I would take the SEC over a lot of minor league divisions or minor league um, locations like the Appalachian League and things like that. I would take the SEC over them. I bet the SEC would kick their ass. Having said that, he's a big, strong kid with a wipeout slider, 97 on the fastball. You've seen what he's been able to do at Vanderbilt. It wouldn't be out of the uh, question for this guy to make a huge jump or even – you know, a September kind of push if something was to go wrong. I'm that confident in his ability that he could do that right out of Vanderbilt because this isn't a guy from high school. This isn't a guy who you're wondering what he if he can handle the pressure. He's pitched at the College World Series how many times now? Alongside Jack Leiter, you know, those guys have probably been one and two working out, trying to outdo each other every start. So he's pitching against one of the best young pitchers in, in the sport as it is. I loved the pick. I was absolutely shocked that he fell to 10. And there have been some concerns about, you know, his elbow and this and that and just his arm angle. And he doesn't have a change up per se, but baseball is made of two pitch pitchers. And if you can use him in a, a smaller role or as starters go these days, only four innings, come on. There's no doubt that he could pitch in the major leagues right now for me. The first 12,000 fans will be receiving chicken rings, courtesy of White Castle. Uh, the Harold and Kumar special and uh, the Elias Sports Bureau just called me and it'll be the first rocker pitching in Queens that hasn't had batteries thrown at him. So <laughs> looking forward to that happening when Kumar Rocker makes his debut. And, you know, with the side of White Castle, you could have some bacon and some poutine because the Mets second round draft pick is Calvin Ziegler, a Canadian right hander considered the best draft prospect from that country. The Mets haven't had a Canadian appear in a game for them since Jim Henderson. 
in 2016. So you got Kumar Rocker, you got the Canadian. We're just forming a super team of right-hand starting pitchers. The Avengers are coming. We'll talk more about the Mets' second half of their season ahead on Thursday on our second half of the season preview edition of Amazing But True. But coming up next on the show, it'll be Wayne Randazzo, the voice of the Mets, right here on Amazing But True. Our guest this week is part of the radio crew that shouted out Ficky during the broadcast on Sunday for uh, all the times that he was DFA'd with the Mets back in the day, three times in one season. It is the radio voice of the Mets on WCBS alongside Howie Rose. He's the play-by-play and color commentator. Can also be heard on Fox Sports and the Big Ten Network. Let's welcome in Wayne Randazzo to Amazing But True. Wayne, welcome to the show. How are you? What's up, guys? I'm good. Figgy looking good there. <laughs> You as well. For people who haven't seen you because you radio voice, Jake always likes to say he has a face for radio. You have a beard, and I've never seen you with a beard before, but it looks good. I'm, I'm glad you like it. I like your curls and your mug and everything you've got going on. <laughs> He's got to be nice to you mug. after after they roasted you, essentially, I don't on, on Sunday. That. <laughs> yeah, it, a, a, it wasn't a, a, it wasn't a roasting. <laughs> Again, any publicity is good publicity. Uh, we got to shout out the show. Chris Schwinden, though. I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh, hey, listen, I, I've been lumped in with worse. Don't don't you worry. So I, I do say, and, and I did say, so the whole thing was who holds the record for most DFAs because Eikhoff is going to get DFA'd again, let's be real. And so they were like, you know, Nelson Figueroa and Chris Schwinden. I wonder which one more. And I was listening at the time, so I just texted Howie. So in today's day and age of communication how he reads it right over the air and i'm laughing because i'm listening to this on the radio and i go he just read that out loud and he was like i wonder how we could find out and i sent ask omar in big letters with the exclamation points and then he put it out well omar the ball's in your court i'm like oh boy this is gonna get interesting <laughs> real question fun. is who is chris schwinden can someone tell me who chris, when was chris schwinden on the mets I'm thinking it was a 2011 or so. No, he was before, he was after me. Yeah, 11 or 12, or so, somewhere around there. Um, no, so then we had. Besides, I f- you forgot to mention that he's Steve Gelb's best friend. Oh, That's right. his other That's claim to fame. Swindon? No, you are. <laughs> <laughs> he goes Swindon. <laughs> That's why he got DFA'd for being Gelb's best friend. Right. <laughs> Yeah, actually. It's a big oh, oh God, nice. Chris Schwinden. That is a name I am. That is one of the more obscure names in the history of the Mets that I, I had not known of. So, uh, Figgy, alongside uh, a cavalcade of stars on that list, you get a little break, then you get some Permanti bros over the weekend, and you get the best of both worlds, and they need this break pretty badly, Wayne. What's your grade? We gave our grade early in the show for the season so far. Uh, what's the grade for the first half of the Mets season? I think it's a, an A- minus because this team did go through a lot from an injury standpoint and still going through a lot. You know, the reason why you have Jared Eikhoff pitching in that game yesterday is because your fifth starters have all gotten hurt. You you haven't had Carrasco at all. You haven't had Syndergaard at all and may not. And you now have gone through Joey Lucchese and David Peterson and Corey Oswald. All these guys keep getting hurt. So now you're on the very back end of it. They had to use Robert Stock on Wednesday where they picked up off waivers. They had to use Eikhoff for a third time, you know, They and they're still in first place with a decent cushion, too. They're three and a half games up on the Phillies, who have shown no signs and, and neither have the Braves of being a true contender in the division. And I'm curious as to which one of those two teams is going to make a push at the trade deadline, because your ticket into the playoffs is still a winnable division if you're Atlanta and the Phillies. 
And there are some good players that are going to be out there. And if the Braves had just lost Ronald Acuna, you know, maybe they go after Joey Gallo when, when maybe they wouldn't have before. So it'll be interesting to see what those teams do because in their eyes, I'm sure, the division is still very winnable to them. And in the Mets' eyes, they think that they can run away with this thing in the second half of the season. So the Mets have done well for themselves, better than I think that people may have thought they would, considering how many injuries they had to both their offense and to the pitching staff throughout the first half. And to be where they are, I think, is a really encouraging sign. But now as the players get healthier and the team gets back fully together, this is the time to really step on the gas and and not lose games like the one they did yesterday. What's the deal? Are you guys doing road games uh, soon? Is there a timeline of when you're going to be traveling? We've talked about it a little bit. It's starting to look like we'll travel maybe well, to some places. I think Philadelphia and Boston and Washington are going to be on the table uh, in the second half, which they really weren't in the first half of the year. And, you know, as far as flying somewhere, I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Um, you know, we are hoping to – uh, get on whatever sort of team charter or whatever for the playoffs. If the team does make the playoffs, we have to be at those games. So, you know, whether we fly there on our own or, or fly with the team at that point, you know, all of that still remains to be seen. But I, I think there's a good chance that in September and October we'll be in, in most places. Yeah, how tough has that been uh, doing those road games from watching a monitor at City Field and soon you'll be, you know, Airbnb and with Bobby Bonilla at the stadium coming up. You might see him in one of the suites uh, with, with like a couch. I don't know what the setup is going to be for Bobby. I'm sure his payday on July 1st will, will make it very nice, but that's got to be difficult calling a game from a monitor, right? It is, and it's it's getting more difficult, I think, as stadiums fill up. As games become more important, these are starting to be games with playoff implications, starting to be games that are in front of fuller stadiums. So to not have the atmosphere and to not really feel what's happening in the ballpark is difficult. Not to mention, we, we can't see a lot of things. I mean, plain, plain and simple, our viewpoints are are tattered by the fact that we aren't there. We, we are looking at a monitor that is washed out and is impossible to see. We can kind of see the infield from that all nine view. But once the ball goes into the outfield, forget it. We are relying solely on, on the director of the home team. And sometimes they're able to make the proper cuts and we can see everything. And sometimes we can't, you know, it's, it's been extremely difficult. And I think that it's a disservice to the listeners and to the viewers for the S and Y games too, to not have us there and field access is back too. So we're losing out on being able to be on the field and, and talking to the players and, and getting our stories that we want for the broadcast too. So it's it's in many different avenues. It is a disservice to the broadcasters to be able to do the job for the fans that want to hear these things. So it has not been a good system. And I think at this point, you'd think Major League Baseball would step in and demand that their broadcasters are on are there and they haven't yet and i'm not sure what it would take for for mlb to step in because they could they could end all that today they could say that broadcasters are back on the road and that's it but they they haven't done that so it's just kind of been up to the teams and the radio stations and the tv stations and it's just kind of a, a mixed bag right now because some teams are starting to travel and some teams aren't yeah i, I have to give you guys a tremendous amount of credit because having worked in television and knowing how difficult it is like everybody used to think i got a teleprompter 
that would roll my answers and I would just have to read it off of there. You guys are trying to deal with live baseball and how it's happening. And it's true. The cuts that the director makes limit you to what you can, how you can describe it because you're trying to paint this picture. And by the way, I think that was the first time I ever heard the picture painted of the uniforms down to the socks and the outlining of the <laughs> socks of what colors. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, that's vivid. I can, I can see it all right in front of me. That's something that it, it, I have to give you guys tremendous credit for because you guys didn't miss a beat throughout this whole thing. Like you are so entertaining. And I say that about the SNY booth. They're the best in baseball. You guys, radio-wise, I can't listen to radio of anybody else. If I'm flipping through, you know, like the Sirius XM and they're playing these other games, I can't listen. I really can't. And I get to you and Howie and I often, whenever I'm driving or I'm somewhere where I can't visually watch the game, I'll put the the radio broadcast on because you guys do such a tremendous job. Having said all that and all kudos to the world because I know how difficult of a job it is. You guys have done great. Being alongside the human encyclopedia that is Howie Rose (laughs) – how daunting of a task was that when you first got the job? Now he's only a human Mets encyclopedia, but that's, yes. <laughs> these, uh, you know, it's, I, I, somebody asked me this yesterday actually too. And I, I'm not from New York originally. And, you know, I knew of Howie Rose before I got to the Mets and, and obviously worked as a pregame show host for a few years before I got into this job now. So I was around him and around Gary a lot, but, you know, they weren't so intimidating to me because of, of the fact that I just, they weren't the people I listened to growing up. You know, I think for a, a Mets fan to have come into that role and to sit next to Howie, uh, that would be extremely intimidating. You know, instead, I think I've I've learned a lot from Howie as 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 a broadcaster. I think I'm probably 10 million times better now than I than I was before I ever sat next to him because he he brings the best out of you. He brings the best out of pretty much everybody he's ever worked with, and he loves being that that older mentor type figure at this point. And he's been great about helping me out and and listening to my tapes and watching when I fill in for Gary and being able to. Uh, Tell me what he thinks. And, and of course, whatever he says, I try to implement it because of the storied career that, that he's had. You know, I think at this point, I, I know I've read up a lot of Mets history. I know a lot about the Mets. You know, I know I know what I've seen in my lifetime. The guys watched pretty much every game the team has ever played dating back to 1962. So I, it's it's not worth it for me to pretend like I know what he's talking about when he brings up Marv Throneberry. Or, you know, or Chris Schwinden. Yeah, or, or, or at least that was in my lifetime. Or like Dick Selma. We were talking about Dick Selma the other day. You know, he has such vivid memories of watching these guys pitch and, he, and exactly where he was and what was happening to the Mets on that particular day in 1967. And, you know, I, I can – Google and get on baseball reference and try to pretend like I know what's going on. But it's just not worth it to try to play catch up with a guy who's seen every single thing that the team has ever done in franchise history. So I try to stay in my lane and stick to what I know and uh, add what I can and make fun of him for being, you know, a thousand years old or whatever, just to add a, a different sort of uh, color to the broadcast. He also fell in love with my mother, my soon to be mother in 1983, if you didn't know this, that he met her at a Toyota dealership in, in Queens and asked for her number. And he called her three weeks later. He called her three weeks later and she started dating what would be my dad. So uh, Howie Rose, uh, I may have never been born if Howie uh, <laughs> sent that phone call a couple weeks earlier. Quite a story. You know, he was talking about uh, getting sick on a date at, at Nora from Queens, the Aquafina. She was at the game yesterday and her family owned a Chinese restaurant in uh, Flushing and he got sick there once. And <laughs> <laughs> Of course he did. <laughs> 
classic. Do you feel like, do you see him like, I don't know when something big happens or like during the breaks where he's pumping his fist, like you're not a Mets fan, but it's got to bring some excitement to you calling it alongside him. You know, they always show the videos of Gary when he reacts and how exciting that is. Fans eat that stuff up. Is it cool saying that? And do you see it a lot? Like, you know, a walk off or a big homer here and there? Um, yeah, you know, for me personally, it's I don't think it's any different than how the players feel. You know, when when the players win and when the Mets win, they're excited and I'm excited. I, I mean, I want the team to do well. I'm not really impartial uh, when I'm broadcasting these games either. You know, the, it's important to me that the Mets win and, and go to the playoffs and be awesome to call playoff games with Howie and 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 go through that experience. So I, I, I'm right there with him. But I'll tell you one funny story. It was 2019. And the Mets were playing uh, the Indians, and they had a big comeback late in in one of those games. I think it was J.D. Davis doubled off of Brad Hand to tie the game. And I'm sitting there. He's calling the bottom of the ninth, and I hear this pounding, this, like, incessant do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And I'm like, what is that? I look over, and it kind of catches it that he's, like, running in place as he's calling the the play. You know, he's, he's, fo- he's focused. He doesn't pump his fists and stuff when he is uh, calling the plays really intently focused, but he's running in place kind of and stomping his feet on the ground as the runners are running the bases. And I, I thought I'd never even seen him do that before. I thought that was really fun. Oh God, I could imagine that. That's some of the behind the scenes stuff that people don't aren't privy to. And I'm glad that you paint that picture because we know that they're Mets fans. We know how, you know, Gary always talks about wearing the orange and blue and being true to the orange and blue. Um, so that's always great to hear. For you, what has been your biggest moment in your broadcasting career? When Alonzo was breaking the home run record, you know, it was near the end of the season. Fox had that Saturday game at City Field. So I knew Gary was going to be out and, and not be on the call. And so I figured this it's possible that it would fall in, in one of my innings and it would be the only Mets call, you know, because there wasn't a TV Mets call of it and it would just be us on the radio. I was kind of prepared mentally uh, going into the game that I'd probably get his second at bat, you know, that would fall in the third or the fourth inning. And that if he didn't homer in the first at inning or the first at bat, I would probably get it in the second at bat. So I was ready. And, uh, you know, when he when he launched 53, I, I tried to give it as, as good of a moment as I possibly could uh, to try to be true to the moment of a historic home run, which it really was, you know, breaking the rookie home run record. And who knows how long that record's going to stand. McGuire stood for all, about 30 years until Aaron Judge broke. And Judge was, wasn't that long. But who's to say Alonso won't have this record for the next 30 or, or 40 years um, as, as the rookie home run king? So I, I really wanted to say two things. I wanted to say that he was the rookie home run king. And I wanted to say that this was number 53 right away in the call. I was able to do that. And then how he... I also called Alonzo's Mets record-breaking home run, which was the 42nd homer he hit that year, a few weeks earlier. And I asked Howie what he thought. It was kind of a historic Mets home run. You know, he gave me some thoughts about what I could add, could have added later if a, a similar situation had come up. And it obviously didn't take very long. It only took about three or four weeks for that to happen again. So I focused on a few different things that, that he had suggested. And I, I thought, you know, giving that moment its due was great. I was really happy to be able to do that. And I think that's really the job is just whatever moments are occurring. DeGrom got his 1,500 strikeout recently, or he he flirted with 10 straight strikeouts in a game recently, or whatever DeGrom's doing that's special. You just want to give those moments 
it's due as a broadcaster. And, and I think that's, that's the goal, no matter what. Were you at home practicing? Like what were some of your outtakes? I would love to see you just standing there with a brush in your hand, you know, just looking in the mirror, trying to get it right. And you try, no, 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 that wasn't good enough. No, no, no. That was too high pitched voice cracking. I watched a few uh, big home runs back, like some of the, some polar calls just to kind of get a sense of what the announcers are focusing on, not to script anything, just to get a sense of what, what is being looked at, you know, what is important about um, these moments and getting those calls the way that they've been kind of historically done. So I watched a few of those, uh, but that was really about it. I just, like I said, wanted to say those two phrases, rookie home run King and number 53 and everything else was just about what was in front of me. You know, if you remember the home run, it wasn't, it wasn't like he hit it in the upper deck. It was, it was somewhat playable. You know, I think it was Billy Hamilton who went back up near the wall and, and climbed the wall a little bit. And um, so it wasn't exactly gone off the bat for sure. It, it, it drifted a little bit to get out. And, uh, you know, once it did, it was it was just then about painting what was right there. When you guys leave, you know, you divvy up your innings. Like, does Howie go and, and go schmooze with people? Like, the fourth inning, he just takes off, hits the bathroom, goes get the buffet, the media room. How does that, that work? Do you guys have bathroom breaks? How, how does the whole thing work? You know, I, I, I try to be there for all the innings he's doing. For my innings, he kind of takes a, a more of a break than I do. Um, well, he, you know, he does a, a couple more innings than me. So, he, he for the fourth inning especially, he'll uh, take go to the bathroom and take a little moment before he comes back in. And then he's, you know, he's tweeting at people now he's on Twitter. So he's tweeting uh, for, for the entirety of the fourth inning. I think he's usually pretty busy. The seventh inning, you know, when I'm calling the seventh inning, usually he's in there because it's uh, that could be a bigger, bigger inning in the game. So, uh, but yeah, the third or fourth inning, he's, he's usually uh, taking that time to get, get straightened out for the stretch run. All right, it's the fifth inning stretch a lot this year for Howie. It's the fourth inning stretch is when uh, all the tweets are fired out. You can follow Wayne Randazzo on Twitter at Wayne Randazzo. What do you think? Finally, second half, what do you expect? Mets make a big deal. Does this team win the division? Is this a World Series contender? Do you see Uncle Stevie making uh, a few moves to bolster the staff? What do you see? Yeah, you got you got to do it, right? I mean, they're in first place. They you got to go for it when it's there. So, and it is there. You know, the Braves and Phillies are certainly don't look like teams that are going to make it. Washington had a good run while Schwarber was hitting everything out of the park, and now that he's hurt, they've fallen back. So, they've got to go for it. You know, you look at Milwaukee and and the three teams in the West as the teams that can stand in your way to get to the World Series. They're all really good, but I don't think anyone is is going to be uh, just the, this incredible juggernaut that the Mets can't beat especially when Carlos Carrasco comes back. This is a, a really good pitcher that has not thrown an inning for this team yet. And, and if he looks anything like he normally does in the final two months of the season, that's just going to make this team even better. And if they do lock in a starting pitcher and, and try to make this a five-man rotation with a, a bunch of studs in there, it's, it's going to be tough to knock them off for a division title. And, and then we'll see. You know, They get in the playoffs with guys like DeGrom and, and Carrasco and, and how Taiwan Walker's looked this year. They could be tough to beat in October. So I, I think that there's a lot of ceiling for this team still. And it's a matter when we heard Steve Cohen say, we're not going to just pass the luxury tax by one or two million. Might as well just blast right through it. So uh, I think that's encouraging. And I, I would be shocked if they don't do anything substantial between now and July 30th. Wayne Randazzo, radio voice of the New York Mets on WCBS 880. Wayne, thanks for coming on Amazing But True. All right. You got it. Thanks for having me. That says adios to episode 68, the Dell and Batances edition. We hardly knew you. 
of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Munguia, for producing this show. Go into Apple Podcasts right now and show some support for me and Jake by giving Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice, positive review. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday following the All-Star break as we look ahead to the second half of the season. Enjoy the All-Star festivities, and thanks for listening 